All right, Esther chapter 9. Because there's too much to recap, I'm going to do a very long story short. The Jews are in exile in, in Persia. The ones that are in Persia are choosing to be there, I should say. Um, the tribe of Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians for 70 years. They had forsaken God. They didn't learn from the house of Israel's demise, as God had warned them. Cyrus took over. Um, well, the Persians came in and attacked the Babylonians. Cyrus took over them, and he allowed the Jews to return to the city to rebuild the city and the temple. And that's exactly as God had foretold. By name, 150 years before he was born, God said Cyrus would do that. Only around 60,000 returned. The, the rest chose to stay in exile and out of the will of God. Uh, in time, Esther, a Jewess, she was cousin to Mordecai. She became queen through an awful and appalling selection process. I, I don't like when preachers refer to it as a beauty contest. It's not what it was. It was human trafficking is what it was. And through it all, though, God's providence was at work behind the scenes. The king of Persia, Ahasuerus, remember he gave his authority to Haman, the Agagite, called the Jews' enemy in this book. Haman hated Mordecai all because he refused to bow and give him reverence when he passed through the gate. So Haman convinced the king, there's a people scattered throughout your empire that are worthy of death. Their laws are not your laws. He said a bunch of lies. Anyway, the king could have cared less. He said, do what you want. And so Haman, in 11 months, had the decree sent out that the Jews could be eradicated. And remember, Esther's identity had been concealed the whole time uh, up until that decree had been issued. And I'm sure if Haman had known she was a Jew, he would have thought twice about issuing such a decree. But God's providence was at work. In a fascinating turn of events, her identity is revealed as she pleads for her people. Haman is killed on the same gallows he made to have Mordecai killed. Mordecai takes over his position, and all of that in one day. <laughs> it's amazing what God can do, amen? But there's still a problem. Haman's decree had already been issued. And Persian law requires, once a decree is issued, it has to be enacted. And so they could not revoke it. The king decides to let Mordecai issue a decree to help against Haman's decree. And so Mordecai issues a decree that the Jews could defend themselves. And in chapter 9, we saw, I think, last week, beginning here, the day has finally arrived that that decree by Haman is going to be executed Mordecai's decree is now going to be enforced, and this is all going to come to a head here. And even though Haman was killed, Esther was queen, Mordecai had been elevated, the Jews still had enemies in the land. And I use that to say it does not matter the political climate, doesn't matter how good we may think it is, there's always going to be enemies. And we focused on that last time. So with that, let's begin tonight in chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 16. Bear with me when I get to the names. Amen. I practice them, but have already forgotten. Verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near 
to be put in execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them. And then we get this spoiler alert. Though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, and slaughter and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. And in Shushan the palace the Jews slew and destroyed five hundred men, and Parshandatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Poratha, and Adaliah, and Eridatha, and Parmashta, and Arasi, and Eridi, Dai, and Vejisatha. Anyway, yeah, yeah, thank you, brother. It's I actually did pretty good when I was practicing, and I was going to write them in my notes like Ebonics, but I forgot, and um, so that's what you get tonight. But in verse 10, it really just summarizes all of that up, and it says, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they, but on the spoil laid they not their hand. On that day, the number of those that were slain in Shushan the palace was brought before the king. And the king said unto Esther the queen, The Jews have slain and destroyed five hundred men in Shushan the palace, and the ten sons of Haman, what have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? And I don't think he's asking this to get her take, but I think he's saying it's going to be bad everywhere. Um, I'll maybe mention that later, I can't remember. Now what is thy petition, and it shall be granted thee? Or what is thy request further, and it shall be done? Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. And the king commanded it so to be done. And the decree was given at Shushan and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day also of the month Adar and slew 300 men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives, and had rest from their enemies, and slew of their foes seventy and five thousand, but they laid not their hands on their prey. So we find in these verses that God has turned the tables on the Jews' enemies. Eleven months ago, it looked hopeless. Haman's decree has been issued. They were in weeping and fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and Mordecai's decree goes out. There's joy, there's gladness. They can defend themselves. And, and, and here we see God has turned the tables, and what, what looked like certain defeat has ended with the Jews defeating their enemies. In verse 2, the Jews gathered together in all the cities where they were scattered throughout the, the empire to defend themselves. And it's important to understand their posture was not offensive but it was defensive. The, Haman had issued the decree for, for anybody that wanted to kill the Jews to be the aggressors, and, and they just wanted to defend themselves. And so um, they, they gathered 
and they did so to lay hand on such as sought their hurt. So if somebody came against them, they would deal with it, but they were not going against somebody as uh, the aggressor. But we see at the end of verse 2, no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And, and that's not all. In verse 3, fear also fell upon the rulers throughout all the provinces. Now, why did this fear come upon uh, all the people and rulers? Verse 4 gives us the answer, right? For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out, went out throughout all the provinces. So the people had learned that the Jews were now being favored by the king in, in the capital city. And they would have learned, I'm sure, word would have spread that Esther was a Jew. And they would have known Mordecai was now raised into the position that Haman was in, which was essentially the prime minister of the land. I mean, he had the king's ring. He had the royal authority. And, and they would have learned all of this about how things have been turning in the Jews' favor here. And then the, the rulers... Um, would have been inclined to help the Jews because their position was dependent upon being in favor, having the right favor of the king, right? So if, they, if they're looking at the situation going, well, the king allowed the decree to be issued, he's married to a Jew, it's probably in my best interest not to get into a tussle with the Jews. And, and so the, the leaders are starting to break on their side. I don't know it's necessarily because they like them, but I think it had a lot to do with they just wanted to preserve their job. Therefore, they, they feared Mordecai, the rulers did, because he was put in place by the king. And now Mordecai is calling the shots, and you typically don't bite the hand that feeds you, unless you're a teenager. Sorry, I'm still raising them. And with the rulers now supporting the Jews, it makes sense that the people would also fear the Jews. Uh, most people don't want their lives disrupted anyhow. I mean, complacency is why we get trampled on. Amen. I used to always speak out in the military, like, just do what I tell you. I'm like, that's why it's a mess. Everybody just does what you say, and you're dumb. And so most people don't want their lives disrupted. Most people aren't looking to make trouble for themselves, right? I don't like drama in my life. I know some people do. I mean, they go out of their way to find drama. They love it, you know? You ever met that married couple that argue with each other until they find somebody else that they equally hate? And then all of a sudden they're best buddies? They just need drama, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's just how some people are. That's not me. I hate drama. For whatever reason, i got a ton of it right now. And, and so um, th most people don't want to make trouble for themselves, what I'm saying. So th they're not going against the Jews. They're not going to go against the one Mordecai who's been elevated by the king as well. And all of that could turn against them because Mordecai, they know he's a Jew and he's the one in power. So we see in verses uh, 3 and 4 what the Jews did, what the rulers did, and what God did. Uh, first, the Jews gathered themselves together. Their strength in numbers, amen? amen? And they gathered themselves together for their unity of this cause. They're, they're stronger Together, God has designed the church to gather together. It's okay for y'all to shout, Amen, you're here. God has designed it that way. There are many reasons why we need the assembly of the saints. 
It's a need in our Christian life. One of those needs is so that we might be strengthened. And when people forsake church, they become an easier target for the enemy to take down. Now, I've seen it and you've seen it. That's a fact. I see it played out in nature. You ever watch the uh, nature shows? The predatory animals usually don't go after the biggest one in the herd. They try to pick off a weakling, a sick one, get them, what, separated from the herd, and then the pack of wolves surrounds them and takes them down because it's easier that way. And so God has made it for us to assemble, and when we don't do that, we become weaker. We become easier targets for the enemy. The enemy wants to lure you away from the congregation. He is seeking to destroy. And his easiest targets are those who just begin to drift away from the herd, if you will. This is why I get so concerned when I notice church attendance beginning to slip. Now, there's unseen factors, I, I get that, um, which have been causing the backsliding. It, it, it happens. There's things that I don't know about that are happening behind the scenes. I just see the outward manifestation of where you at. Um, boy, we sure miss you. Is everything okay? Um, and, and you reach out and you try to see what's going on. You want to see them get back in the, in the flock. Um, and, and so there's something usually happening uh, unseen that's, causing the backsliding to start. But the first outward sign that something isn't right is when I see somebody who's normally right here, not here anymore. You understand what I'm saying? And, and next thing you know, you find out that they're not coming back or something like that. They've been picked off by the enemy. Uh, there, listen, there's a reason the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's not just a good idea. We need it. And, and I don't like people either, but we need it. So it's not just a good idea. We need it. We're stronger together. Amen. The Bible says in Psalm 92, 13, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And, and next we see what the rulers did. Both decrees are in effect, and guess what? Both are legal. <laughs> You're not going to be arrested if you kill a Jew. It's, it's been legalized on that day. Uh, the Jews can't be arrested if they defend themselves. It's been authorized. And so there's two decrees in effect here, but what did the rulers do? Um, the, the rulers decide to align themselves with Mordecai's decree, which I just covered was out of fear. Uh, but still, it helped the Jews, right? And then last, we see God's part in this. Fear of them fell upon all the people. That is God who puts fear into their hearts. Uh, we see instances in the Bible where God has done this time and again. God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 2.25, This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. God said, I'm going to put the fear of you on all the people. And what happened after Jer uh, after they crossed the Jordan River and they send the two spies into Jericho. Remember what Rahab said? We have heard what your Lord has done. Uh, and, and they were fearful. God put a fear upon them. Then in Joshua 5.1 we read, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites 
which were on the side of, the, of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. In Ezekiel 30, 13, God said He would put a fear in the land of Egypt. And so in God's providence here, what is taking place, God is putting a fear upon the people uh, to hold back this tide, to push back this tide, to keep everyone from coming against the Jews. And, and as a result, we get verse 5. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. Now, I mentioned last week how there's always enemies. It doesn't matter. You're always going to have enemies. Just That's the bright spot of your day today. You're going to have enemies. And, and now from verse 5, we can learn that not only are there going to be enemies, but there are, there are going to be those enemies who have hardened their hearts. And, and they don't want to turn. It doesn't matter the circumstances to them. They're gonna, they've got hard hearts and they're going to rebel and they're going to be enemies no matter what. People can harden their hearts themselves and sometimes God hardens hearts according to the Bible. The Bible speaks of the children of Israel hardening their own hearts in the wilderness. You can go over and read that in Hebrews 3 and 4. They, they hardened their own hearts. They refused to believe God and and. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, they, they did it through the deceitful, deceitfulness of sin. Sin hardens the heart. Amen. You choose to sin, and therefore you can harden your own heart. Uh, you can sear your conscience even, uh, but, but that's a whole other thing. Then we see times when the Lord would harden hearts to work out His purposes. This is harder for people to understand. When, when Pharaoh... That's who we often think of, I think, right away. When, when Pharaoh refused to let God's people go, the Bible says God further hardened his heart. I say further because it was already hardened that he wouldn't obey. And, and the thing you got to know about the situation with Pharaoh, because a lot of people say, well, he had no choice in the matter. Yes, he did. God first came and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey? I know not the Lord. And then the Bible says God hardened his heart. He was already hard-hearted. God just further hardened his heart. Uh, Romans, 9, 7, or Romans 9, 17 and 18 talks about this. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, this is, you talk about God's providence, listen to this. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will... And whom He will, He hardeneth. God has a purpose in everything. And once the children entered the land, God further hardened the hearts of the wicked inhabitants to fulfill His will. So, so God has Pharaoh. He's hardening his heart because God's going to uh, fulfill His will. They get, they've got the children in the land. God's going to, or, or the uh, enemies are in the land. God's going to harden their hearts to fulfill His purposes. Joshua eleven twenty says, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle. Why? That He might destroy them utterly. 
that they might have no favor, but that He might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. So God has a purpose. And, and we see in our text that even though the odds were stacked against the enemies of the Jews, there still were those... I say the odds were stacked against them because the king's in favor, Esther's a Jew, Mordecai is a Jew, uh, the, the leaders are following you know, the Jews. Um, and, and yet there are those who have their hearts hardened that against all odds, they're, they're still going to go against all good sense. Amen. They're, they're, going, to against go, they're going to go against all good sense. And, and you look at people like they go, what were you thinking? Right? And it doesn't make sense. And they go ahead and attack the Jews anyway. But what I'm trying to say is it was God at work. Uh, he, he used the enemies of the Jews' hard hearts against them to destroy them. That was His purpose. He wanted the enemies destroyed. You know, you remember when... I don't know why this popped in my head. You remember when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait? It's like, dude, what are you thinking? Harden his heart so he can be destroyed. God has a purpose. You say, what in the world is going on in Ukraine and Russia? God has a purpose. And, and so God is at work all the time. Uh, Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with a stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. So the bottom line, the bottom line here is this. It, it doesn't matter the political climate. It seemed right, didn't it? Uh, hey, we got who we wanted up in the palace. King's on our side, the, the queen's one of us, the prime minister's one of us, man. It didn't matter. There were enemies, and there were enemies with hard hearts. And they were going to go against them no matter what. Don't be surprised when the enemy comes against you. But trust the providence of God, that he's at work fulfilling his purposes. And he does so as he sees fit. All right, next in verses 6 through 15, we zoom in and we get what happened in Shushan. In verse 6, the Jews slew 500 men. And in verses 7 through 10, we learn that among the 500 killed were the 10 sons of Haman. Now, I can imagine how the 10 sons of Haman wanted to avenge their father, um, even though they're in the wrong here. It was their father who started all this mess as far as issuing the decree. And their sons were in the wrong because they were continuing, wanting to continue at least, his evil agenda. But they got what was coming to them. And then some. I cannot envision a scenario in this account where choosing to attack the Jews was going to end well for Haman's sons. I've already mentioned it several times. The king, his wife, Mordecai, what, what do you think? And they're doing that at the palace area. <laughs> this just blows my mind. They're in Shushan where the king is on the throne and his wife's a Jew and Mordecai is in charge. And yet they just keep fighting against them. And, and it's just an, a reminder of how obstinate a hard heart can be. What in the world are you doing? Do you ever want to shake somebody? We were all young once, amen? All of this was of the Lord. Just like Haman, his sons would have stopped at nothing. Like father, like son. God is using this event to destroy the seed of Haman, the Agagite, 
the Jews' enemies. Deuteronomy 2.30, But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by. For the Lord thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into thy hand. You know, we can't see the end from the beginning. God knows all. Sometimes what is taking place around the world and even in our own lives, it doesn't seem to make much sense in the moment. Amen? Let me just give you a small example that popped in my head. It makes no sense to me in the moment how I can turn on Radar Hill Road to go pick up my wife from the airport and then my car just die. That makes no sense to me. You say, when the oil light come on? When I turned the corner to get on Radar Hill Road, I thought, I got enough oil left. The whole engine seized up and now the car's dead. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, I'm just going to pick up my wife, Lord. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I bet it was the cat. Good one, Lord. I got it now. I just had to talk it through. Stuff just doesn't make sense sometimes when you're going through it, right? <laughs> All right, I could just keep listing stuff. It has been one thing after the other. Um, but here's the thing. If you give it enough time, it all makes sense. Almost always. Give it enough time, our Father planned it all, amen? He knows. He knows. You say, this is not what I planned for my life. He knows. And, and you say, well, I don't understand why I'm going through this. Give it time. It, it will make sense. It'll come together, and you'll say, my Father planned it all. Speaking of God's purposes, I reckon that we cannot know for sure, but some see the death of Haman's ten sons as a fulfillment of Exodus 17, 14. And that's where the Lord said He would utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And remember that Haman was an Agagite, which seems to indicate he was a descendant of Agag. I covered all that while we were in chapter 3. Personally, I agree with that thought. I, I think he's a descendant there. Um, Agag was the king of the Amalekites, and that's what's important. God said he would utterly destroy uh, the, the Amalekites from under heaven. And remember, Saul was charged by God to destroy them, right? Remember all that? And he didn't fully obey God. And because he didn't fully obey God, here centuries down the road, the Jews, guess who they're battling? The Amalekites. Anyway, some see this as a fulfillment of that because here they are fighting um, Haman's ten sons, and we know Haman was an Agagite. So this could be part of God's purposes in the death of Haman's sons to fulfill his promise all the way back in Exodus 17, 14. And it's a, it's a very interesting thought because if you look in the Bible, you'll never see Agag, Agagites, Amalek or Amalekites mentioned again after this. Only time they show up is like a handful of times, but it's always in the past tense. Like, remember what God did back in, when you came out of the land of Egypt kind of thing. And, and so it's an interesting thought. Uh, I don't know that we can know for sure. Moving on to verse 12. The, the king informs Esther the queen, 500 men have been killed in Shushan. And basically what he's saying there, I, I mentioned earlier, he's basically saying, surely many more have been slain throughout the empire. 
when it looks like he's asking her how many more have been killed. Uh, Then he says, Now what is thy petition, and it shall be granted thee? Or what is thy request further, and it shall be done? So in verse 13, Esther, she's still in submission to her king. We talked about that. She's still seeking his will, just as we would God. We want to be in submission to God, seeking his will. And, And apparently, she became aware somehow that another day would be beneficial. We need another day to defend ourselves here in Shushan. And, and so she requested also that Haman's ten sons, who had already been killed, now be hanged upon the gallows. And in Persia, what most believe that means, it was a stake, a gibbet, and you're just hanging there, if you will. Uh, It's very brutal, obviously. And and so she asked that they be hanged on the gallows, and it was done. Listen, this girl ain't messing around. You don't want a woman mad at you. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, only the guy without his wife here said amen. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Uh. Don't tell her I said anything. That woman scares me. Yeah, yeah. Now, you can imagine, you see the ten sons of Haman uh, up there on the gallows. That's a pretty good deterrent. Don't align yourself with that guy or with Haman's, you know, with Haman. Don't, don't align yourself with that camp. And, and so you can imagine what that would do to people. Um, and it would certainly prevent further, well, I guess not certainly, but it would help to prevent further opportunities of people coming against the Jews. Now, that may seem harsh in our day, right? Just to hang somebody up that's already dead like that. Um, But it was standard practice then. And I wonder if they had the same crime issues we have. Hmm. All right, anyway, I'm not advocating anything. I'm just asking. Um, You may recall the Philistines fastened the dead body of Saul to the wall of uh, Bethshan. David allowed the Gibeonites to take seven sons of Saul and hang them in the hill before the Lord. And this is also something God permitted. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree. So he's put to death and you hang him up. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanging is the curse of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So God allowed it. He just didn't want him up there through the night. They'd had to be buried. So... Uh, anyway, I'm just saying, I don't think this is as harsh as it may read. This was actually just how they rolled. <laughs> you mess with me, I'm going to hang you up after I kill you. So Esther's thinking also proved to be correct as far as needing another day because in verse 15, on the next day, more came against the Jews and another 300 had to be killed as a result. And so it seems how all of this reads is that extra day was only for Shushan. Doesn't seem like the rest of the province needed it, but just what was happening there in the capital city. Um, then in verse 16, we get the total amount of enemies killed 75,000 throughout the empire. So I did the math on this. If we take the province that Shushan's located and set it aside, the other 126 provinces would have averaged 595 people killed in each province. And so we see through all of this that even though the Jews were permitted to spoil their enemies, they Chose not to. Nobody took of anything of anybody they killed, and we're not told why they didn't. But it makes sense that they didn't to me. 
um, by not taking of their possessions, they may have been demonstrating how, look, we're not concerned in making gain here. We're just concerned in living. You know, we just want to save our skin. Um, perhaps it was an act of compassion. They're, they're killing these men that are coming against them, and they have families that need possessions, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe they wanted to win the hearts of the people. There still would have been a lot of people that didn't like them. They just didn't come against them. And then some suppose that they had Abraham's example in mind when he refused the goods from the king of Sodom. Remember, he rescued them after Lot was taken. And the king of Sodom, he told Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Abraham replied, or Abram replied in Genesis 14, verses 22 through 24, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a let me see, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is not that is thine. Sorry, I'm having a hard time here. Can you tell? And so some think that, well, they're not taking of a spoil because that's what Abraham did. I don't want this is what they might have been thinking. I don't want anybody accusing me of being profited off of taken from the enemy. And I should have a point there, but my point's later on in the message that I can't get to now. Because <laughs> we have youth choir practice and we have to get home. The roads are getting bad. I'll finish with this. That is a good example of a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll pick it up next time if the Lord wills. Let's pray.